Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. My son with schizophrenia, who has given me permission to always talk about his story, if it can help anybody else, um, you know, he decompensates and goes into a period of psychosis where he is seeing and hearing things that are not actually real, but they're just as real to him as I am. The words of Kelly Rosati, a former executive of a large ministry, talking about the challenges and joys of adopting children with mental health challenges. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support. Hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program. And our goal, as always, is to use this story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul. Hey, so glad you're with us on Life Support. And this is a, a program that we talk about trauma, but we talk about it in a way where we want Jesus to relate to you. We want you to fall in love with Christ in a brand new way. So I'm so glad you're here. I have a very special guest. Kelly Rosati is the director of the Flying Horse uh, at Risk, uh, or the Flying Horse Foundation. She deals with all kinds of at-risk people and children, and it's got an amazing story. So Kelly, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. So you're in beautiful Colorado Springs, and you have quite the story to tell. So how did you end up doing what you're doing, and what exactly are you doing? Because it seems really cool and and really unique. Oh, thanks. Well, it's a really long story, so I'll try to keep it short, and uh, we can explore the parts that you'd like to a little bit deeper. But um, I, uh, my husband and I uh, have been believers for a long time. And we were passionate um, sanctity of human life advocates. And in the course of that uh, passion around human dignity, we became aware of the fact that there were kids in foster care that were essentially modern day orphans and didn't have any families. Well, we were, we didn't know that. We were pretty mortified. And the Lord really led us to think of it in the following way. Well, we have a family and there are kids who need families. And so if not us, who? Um, we're blessed. Why wouldn't we open up our home to kids who need homes? And so that began our journey about 20 years ago. We adopted four kids from foster care, uh, from the foster care system in Hawaii, actually. And um, it has been an incredible journey. Um, Three of our four children um, have very severe mental illness. And we didn't know anything about mental illness when we started this journey. Um, I mean, literally nothing. Uh, We knew something about trauma, and all of our kids, of course, experienced early trauma. Anytime uh, kids come from the foster care system, they're going to have experienced trauma. It's going to have, as you know so well, changed their brain, and it's going to affect things as they age and as their brain uh, changes with them. And so we felt like we might be pretty prepared because of what we knew about trauma, even way back then, Um, but we really had no idea. And... um, the journey has been far more difficult 
um, and excruciating than I could even begin to describe because of the serious mental illness that our kids have faced. Um, and so as a result of that um, and experiencing that, uh, had a real passion for wanting to help families trying to parent kids to help them find healing, to help them know how much they're loved by Jesus and to help the families be able to continue to be okay in the midst of what is excruciatingly difficult. And so the Flying Horse Foundation provides equine assisted learning to kids who are at risk, um, whether it's from early trauma, whether it is from mental illness or other challenges that have gone in their lives. And so each week we see uh, about 120 kids here at, from Colorado Springs. They come from group homes. They come from our local teen homeless shelter. Uh, probably half of the kids we serve have been adopted. And so this is a post-adoption support service that we offer. All of our services are free. And uh, we have 18 horses that are our partners in this uh, ministry, if you will. And we just see God do really neat things through the blessing of a horse. Um, and we see connection be able to happen with kids um, for whom no other interventions have helped. And so it's a really great thing to get to be a part of. You used the term excruciating. Um, I think that was carefully chosen. Tell me as a parent, what what has been excruciating about raising children with mental illness? Sure. Well, um, for the last 10 years, our lives have been uh, regularly focused around things like um, self-harm and suicidality and anxiety and depression and medicine and psychiatrists and psychologists and psychiatric hospitals and police and ambulances and uh, the law enforcement system, homelessness, uh, missing persons status. These have been the themes that have been our lives. And so um, in addition to how hard that obviously is on its face, the other thing that's hard about it is uh, what a death of your dreams that is. You know, we went into this like um, any nice Christian parents who had their kids watch Veggie Tales and, you know, couldn't wait to be the house where all the kids came and um, shot pool in the basement and um, went to all of their sporting events and their music events and all of those dreams that we had for family life. And um, we didn't have, we didn't experience any of them. And so learning to recognize and grieve the loss of those things is really, really important. And then learning, honestly, to figure out how to survive the kind of never-ending nature of living in that kind of life and death um, situation day after day. You know, there were times when I just had to really wrestle down and face the fact that chronic suicidality is a feature, not a bug, of a couple of my kids' illnesses. And, um, and that's just reality. And so trying to figure out with God how to get through it and, um, and how to be okay with him, even though I couldn't control the outcomes of my kids' lives, I can't fix their lives, I can't change what they have. All I can do is be the best parent I can be for them 
advocate for them, love them, release all expectations <laughs> that I may have put on them, and uh, go day by day. Well, thank you for sharing that. You've been able to share your story with a number of different media outlets. Uh, I know that you worked at Focus on the Family and had influence there. Uh, how do you find people responding to stories like yours that aren't the quote-unquote normal Christian story? And, and it's funny because we have a lot of young families here at our church, and you know, and, and rightly so. They've got high hopes. They've got stars in their eyes. They've kind of believing if they do A and B, that'll equal C, and life rarely turns out that way. So what kind of response do you get from people? Yeah, that's so important what you just said. Um, I think that as a kind of the church, we've done such a disservice, and the leaders of the messaging in the churches and the nonprofits, we've done such a disservice to people by suggesting that um, absurdity. Honestly, that if we just do A and B, C will be the result. It's not true. Um, and nor does the Bible promise us that. And so I often marvel at how we got so sideways on that. But um, I have to tell you that, um, uh, so I think you know well, oftentimes the um, kind of the worst place for understanding around mental health issues can be the church. And I don't say that. Um, with bitterness, at least at this moment. <laughs> uh, I won't lie and say that I haven't struggled with bitterness about that. Um, but there's this kind of attitude that, well, if you just pray hard enough and get right with God and read your Bible enough, um, you're not going to have mental health issues and this is going to go away. And the reality is that's just not true. And it's um, really destructive to tell people that, to tell people who are at their most vulnerable and who are living with a kind of suffering that most of us could never conceive of to kind of put that heaviness on them as if somehow this is their fault and if they just got to it with God, everything would be better. So that's a pretty difficult um, initial barrier, I would say, um, in trying to deal with the faith community and mental health. There are lots of wonderful people doing good things in this arena. Um, I think first and foremost of Kay Warren, who is just an absolute treasure and has done so much to help educate and support those of us who are parenting kids with mental illness. Um, and so that's, that's an issue. And then if you can get past that issue, um, I think that people who haven't experienced it, and I am absolutely guilty of this myself, 20 years ago, having no clue, it feels scary. You know, it's scary. My son with schizophrenia, who has given me permission to always talk about his story, if it can help anybody else, um, you know, he decompensates and goes into a period of psychosis where he is seeing and hearing things that are not actually real, but they're just as real to him as I am. And in fact, when he goes deeply into psychosis, he doesn't know who I am. I I finally figured out the way to describe to my friends who have a hard time getting it is think of him as having dementia in that moment, except for it's very dangerous because he sees and hears what are called audio and visual hallucinations, and they tell him to kill himself. And so he, he does very dangerous and horrifying things. And this used to happen probably every two weeks for years on end. 
Um, and of course you see every doctor, you try every medicine, you try every prayer, you try every, every, everything there is. And it finally took for us um, getting to a Harvard psychiatrist with a specialty in schizophrenia to find the right medicine for him that has given him some stability. And so these episodes that would happen where we would have to call 911 and go um, have him go to the, with the police to the hospital. Um, now, hasn't ha this hasn't happened in eight months. Uh, just happened a few days ago, unfortunately, but, but eight months is a really great, it's a really great mark of progress. So I say that to say, I think besides first having misconceptions, secondly, people feel scared of this. And I understand that, I really do. But thirdly, I would say that the bottom line, as I've talked to lots of moms um, and dads of kids with mental illness, is that we need help. And we need tangible, practical support. And so if unless you're in a church environment where people are willing to be really inconvenienced, um, you know, if their own schedules for their youth activities and sports and music and restaurants and movies and all of that can't be inconvenienced, um, then there will not be help forthcoming. And so we see a lot of disillusionment among parents who have been faithful followers of Jesus for so long and who can't understand why the people in their churches will not help them. We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Kelly in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is a survivor himself of family trauma, losing a wife and a son, and that's what life support is all about. Survivors in discussion with survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. For more about our work, Log on to www.lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. Lest you're in a church environment where people are willing to be really inconvenienced, um, you know, if their own schedules for their youth activities and sports and music and restaurants and movies and all of that can't be inconvenienced, um, then there will not be help forthcoming. And so we see a lot of disillusionment among parents who have been faithful followers of Jesus for so long and who can't understand why the people in their churches will not help them. Well, the church structure is not built that way. The church structure is built to accommodate the quote-unquote norm. And so how does a family with, with children struggling with these issues plug into a small group? How do they even attend a youth activity. What children's minister even knows what to do when you walk into the church? I mean, I'm the lead pastor of churches, and people on staff don't know what to do with my kids. And so there's a tremendous amount of isolation in that. And that's something that we really need to look at God and deal with, because there are there are way more people than people think that are struggling with this issue. Don't you think? Yeah, I think I think that's such a good point. The isolation is is brutal. Um, I think it all goes back to kind of, and I don't know how to fix this, so you you'll have to fix it. I can kind of fix it. I don't know how to fix it, but I think it kind of goes back to just the way everything is structured. That as as followers of Jesus, um, we ought to grow in Him 
understanding that our lives are to be poured out for others um, as we take care of ourselves and that we probably should structure our lives so that serving others and ministering to people who are struggling is just a natural part of what we do. It's just as natural as going out for pizza. It's just as natural as spending, you know, 10 hours a week watching your kid play baseball or whatever it is. Um, I'm not saying those things are bad. They're not bad. But when your life is so full of them that you can never look around to see all of the suffering people, we're just talking about one issue, mental illness. We could talk about drug addiction and homelessness and orphan care, kids in foster. I mean, there's so many needs. And I think that we as believers have been called to look around and be utilized by God to love and to serve those who are suffering around us. But if our lives are so full that we have no time for that, I think that's part of the that's part of the problem. I don't, like I said, I don't really know what the solution is. Um, people used to say to me all the time as I had this conversation around it with adoptive families. So um, parents who are, who have kids who've gone through trauma, maybe they don't have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia like my kids have, but their kids are really struggling because of what they went through before they came home. And um, we used to, people used to say to me from churches, pastors and others might say, well, it's because all those people are too prideful and they won't say they need help. Okay, I think there's probably, I think there's probably a little bit of kernel of that in the beginning, right? And then when you live this life, it is so, it just so lays you out. You get way past that real fast. Yeah. And so we then would have families begging their churches Simple things. Can you drive my kids around? Because they all have psychiatrists and psychologists and medical appointments and IEP appointments at the school. And I got multiples of these. So could you help drive them around? Could you bring some food? Could you give gift cards? Could you actually come and spend some time at my house so I could shut my room and go into my room for one hour? Those things are things that everybody can do. And they're not hard, but they do take commitment and they do take time and a heart to say, I know you are struggling and suffering and I just want to be there for you. And so those are things we could do, but I have to admit that um, I'm no longer naive in my optimism about how easily that can be accomplished. I used to think this is the easiest nut to crack in the world. We have take uh, an adoptive family or a family with kids with mental illness, and you have churches full of small groups. If a small group would come around one family, so no one person got burnt out from being a helper, but you had a whole group of people to kind of um, sponsor this struggling family. Oh my goodness, that would revolutionize things. So I thought that's what we'll do. We'll just tell everybody to do that. <laughs> and uh, I thought it would work. And it didn't really work. <laughs> so I still have hopes for it, but it's very difficult. It's it's um, you know, Jesus is really the answer to this, and He knows what the answer is. He knows how to guide us forward. At least I'm not sure that this side of heaven we're ever going to arrive at Nirvana. But it's I, I'm with you on your struggle. What what has Jesus taught you through this? suffering really is what it is. I don't know if there's a better word for it. Yeah. I love that question because he really has taught me some things. Um, first of all, I would say one of the most important things I feel like he taught me is that the way through this 
It's not just to survive, but even to be happy in my heart with him as I walk with him is acceptance and gratitude. And so I got stuck for a long time in the wheel of just constantly going, this can't be my life. This cannot be my life. How can this be my life? If you heard me describe what was the regular things going on, I would just sometimes just say, it just can't be my life. And I couldn't even get out of bed. And um, really coming to the notion of acceptance was a tremendous blessing for me. It just took a big weight off. You know what? This is my life. And God knows. And so I'm going to accept it. And I'm going to be grateful. And so acceptance and gratitude have helped me a ton. Just all the stuff that um, a lot of people know that I didn't really know anything about um, that is talked about in the recovery world, things around boundaries and codependency of realizing and coming to the fact that it's actually not my responsibility to control my children (laughs) and what they do and what they don't do. Um, And I can't. And so now this gets a lot easier once your kids become adults. It's tricky when they're, when they're kids because obviously you still have responsibilities um, and you have, a, you have, and always you have a role to play. But just the notion of my well-being cannot be dependent on what my kids do or don't do and how my kids are or aren't doing. And so while I always have hope for my kids' healing and for their walking with Jesus, I have hope hope for that. My hope is not in that. And this was a huge lesson for me to remember to keep my hope in Jesus, to feel the freedom of just loving and doing what he's called me to do and releasing the outcomes to him. That has revolutionized my life. I'm not sure I could still be okay in having this conversation with you if he hadn't taught me that. So Um, He's also taught me that he loves me so much more than I, I mean, than I knew in my head, but was never in my heart and all my own junk and struggles from my own messed up trauma filled childhood. Um, You know, when you live under this amount of pressure, um, you can sometimes cope in really maladaptive ways. And I would say, um, uh, sinful ways. And I would say I definitely went in that direction and just wanted nothing more than to escape my life. I just, I, I, I didn't want to be, I, I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to be alive. Um, and I just needed to escape from what I was doing. I often say, I thank God that I don't really like to I don't really like the taste of alcohol and I've never found a happy pill because let me tell you, if I had, I would easily be one of those people who just chased it to escape. So I have so much uh, compassion around for people who have done that because that could have been me. So I would just say that's the other thing I, um, that God's taught me is just that he knows and he understands and not that things that aren't okay are okay. They're not. Um, and they don't surprise him. And he sees all and he never leaves and he's never mad at me. (laughs) I still have a hard time believing that one. I really have to remind myself. Um, And so he has taught me some really beautiful things. You know, I feel like a lot of times Christians are Christians say, Oh, I would never trade my, never trade my suffering for what I've learned. And yeah, 
I kind of maybe could say, I really do like what I've learned. I can't, you know, and of course I would always uh, have my kids. And I'm so glad I didn't have any idea what was coming because I would not have had the courage to do this. Yeah. But if now I would do it over and over. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you more next time about this because I have um, a lot of questions and I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. What do you do at the Flying Horse Foundation? What do, I, what do we do? Mm -hmm. uh, we provide free equine-assisted learning for at-risk kids in our community, and we uh, strive to advance child well-being through the attributes of connection, awareness, resilience, empathy, and self-regulation. So that's kind of always what we're driving toward and um, helping kids to understand how much they're loved and loved by God and helping them be able to open their hearts and connect first through a horse and then take those lessons back to their families. Good for you. And thank you so much for being here today. It's really appreciated. God bless you. You're welcome. Thank you. That's Kelly Rosati. And that's what we do here on Life Support. We want to help you find more of Christ through dark times, through suffering, through trauma, and understanding that that is a part of life. And so thanks for spending some time with us. I also want to thank our partners that make this possible. Faith Radio Network at MyFaithRadio.com gives us this platform. You can see a video version of this podcast at Five Stone Media, and that's FiveStoneMedia.com. They also have curriculum there for you to access and videos regarding how to help your people in the church to get through this as well. And then here at Ridgewood Church, we produce the podcast here. If you'd like information about how you can support the ministries here and this podcast, you can just go to myrwc.org slash give. Also, catch me on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. And thanks again for being here. We'll catch you next time on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this conversation from Life Support. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player and never miss a show.